Welcome, everybody, to the business podcast where we pour out weekly business lessons from entrepreneurs and business owners from around the world. This week's episode is brought to you by me and my brand new super retreats for entrepreneurs and business owners. To learn more, go to superjoeparto.com slash retreats. I'm your host, Super Joe Pardo, and my guest today is making his dreams come true by living his life on his terms. I, uh, you know, there, there's a lot I could say about the work that, the, that this gentleman has done uh, to help make my life a little bit more magical, as well as probably most of you listening's life a little more magical. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are right now, I need you to give a big warm welcome to our guest, Super Dan Crock Cockrell. That was pretty close, Joe, but I'll take it anytime. Thanks for having me. Say, throwing the crocker, like uh, like Crocker, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, sometimes you get a little tongue tied. Dan, why don't you get started by giving some background about yourself? Sure. Well, I. Um, my dad was in the hotel business growing up, so we moved a lot and uh, around the United States and settled down in Maryland outside of Washington, D.C. when I was in fifth grade. I grew up there. I went to Boston University and studied political science. And while I was in, uh, at BU, I came down and worked at Walt Disney World for a summer on the college program. We have about 6,000 college students. That program's growing who come down. Uh, if you're studying hospitality, you can get college credit. And it's just a great way to get some really enthusiastic, uh, high-energy people down to Walt Disney World uh, to help run the place. And it's a great experience for those people to get it on the resume and, and work there. So I, I did that for a summer. I went back to school. And when I graduated, I came back to Walt Disney World with my first full-time job. And I uh, parked cars at Epcot. Uh, and when I figured that, they let me drive the tram. And after a while, I got to sell tickets. So I did that for about six months. And then in January of 92, I went over to uh, Disneyland Paris. That was about three months before the park opened. And because I had done domestic parking, I then was going to round it out with international parking. So I worked in the parking lot over there as a management trainee and uh, spent five years in France in frontline operations. And then my wife and I moved back to the States in uh, 1997. And uh, I was working at Walt Disney World up until last Friday when uh, – I uh, ventured out and uh, went from leading 12,000 people to my wife and my dog. And uh, I'm not even in charge of my house now. So I'm like, number the dog and I are sort of taking her lead. So it, it's a big life change. That That is a big life change. I So what what, what gave you the decision? What was the tipping point for you to make the decision to want – to say I'm gonna I'm gonna check out here and go do my own thing. Yeah, well, um, my wife is from France, and so when she was 16 years old, she moved to London, didn't speak a word of English, learned English, lived there for a year and a half, went back to France, went to school, uh, went to Epcot, worked on the, the uh, international program, the French Pavilion. So she's always been an adventurer. She's she was never going to be the one that's going to stay in her hometown. And so she's always kind of asking the questions, what's next? What's the next thing we're going to do? And about a year ago, she mentioned that. She said, what's, what's next for us? And I said, what do you mean, like this weekend? She said, no, with the rest of our lives. She said, two kids have moved out. One's going to move out next year. What's the plan? There has, to be, there has to be something different than this. 
and I said, look, I just want to watch Breaking Bad and go to bed. I don't want to talk about this right now. So we chatted. We chatted over the, the, the next few months, and um, I started re- reaching out to executive recruiters and just finding out what else is out there. After you've been with Disney 26 years, you don't get a lot of exposure to the outside world necessarily. And there were, there were a lot of incredible companies, great jobs, really interesting things to do. But the problem was nothing was going to compare to being the vice president of the Magic Kingdom. I mean, it just when it came down to resources and talent and just that job, it was it was going to be I was always going to be comparing it if I did that. So I went all the way in the other direction. I started chatting with my dad. You know, he he retired 12 years ago from Disney and he's figured out how to make a, a living and make a career out of writing books and doing keynote speeches and consulting and podcasting. And he's been an excellent mentor for me. And he sort of said, hey, I'm going to show you the ropes. Go out there and give it a go. And I asked Valerie, I said, well, what if this doesn't work out? She said, well, I think, guess you're just going to have to go get a job. I said, I don't want to go get a job. <laughs> I want to go and do this. So uh, we took the leap. And it, it, it was good timing. Like I said, we got um, it, when our kids were younger, I probably wouldn't have tried something like this. But we're downsizing our house. And we sort of came to the conclusion, we don't need more stuff. We need less stuff. And we really want to hone in while we're healthy and young and go meet people and enjoy the world. And I've in just a few weeks, I've started getting out of the gate here. I've met so many incredible people, entrepreneurs, people like yourself who are so welcoming, give great advice and generous with their counsel. And uh, it has been a it's been really a cool experience. And that's uh, that's the plan. Well, well, I appreciate that. And for anyone who doesn't know, I, I did have your dad on my show, like, well, it's been quite a few years at this point. Um, and he also wrote the foreword for Sales Won't Save Your Business, which came out back in March. Very good. Um, so so let I, before we get a little bit deeper into to like how things are going to be going for you into the future, um, let's let's talk a little bit about your time at disney um and coming up through through the ranks there as far as like because you didn't i mean you didn't start out as the the um president of the magic kingdom so right yeah no one starts there uh people say wow you became vice president of magic kingdom i said yeah it just it happened overnight it only took 26 years to get there you know it's nothing happens they always say people were a sudden success you know well they worked hard for 25 years until they became a sudden success but um it was um if you talk to a lot of uh people at disney a lot of our executives uh most of them have come up through the ranks most of them started in frontline roles and it's kind of unique um as from a company perspective but it is such a great learning and it's a badge of courage to have worked and parked cars and lived in college housing and, and lived work, worked in the restaurants. And so you really understand that. And why that's so important is, you know, we, we certainly recognize that the value that we bring when the guests visit, it is that frontline cast member, one of the 74,000 cast members at work here interacting with the guest and the guests decide if they, it's worth the, 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 the price they're paying for the experience if they're going to come back, if they're going to refer us again, and they don't, they don't have comments on the vice presidents. They don't get to see the, the vice president. They don't see the general managers. They see that cast member in the moment, and either the cast member helps them with a the problem they have or they don't, or they smile or they don't, or they greet them or they don't. And it's all those hundreds of uh, interactions that happen that make up their intent to return. And we understand that as a company is it is so important that that works. And so we need to have executives in place who understand the value of that and have been there and have done that and understand what that experience is like. And so coming up through the ranks, I, I focused on 
getting as many experiences as I could. I was in, I worked in parking. I worked in ticketing. I was in guest relations. I worked in food and beverage. I was in special events. Um, I ran merchandise, the magic kingdom for a while. Every time I was in resorts for six years and ran hotels. And every time you jump into a job, you technically know very little, but you know, the approach to leadership. And after a year, all of a sudden, you know how to do the job and then you get to hone your skills and then move on to the next thing. And so, um, uh, the, the great, I, I, what I tell people is don't worry about getting to the next level or the next level of responsibility. If it's meant to be, you will be just make sure when that happens, you're ready and you have the base experiences to be successful and have fun. Cause the last thing I ever want to do is be over in over my head and be in a job I couldn't do well. Cause that's not, there's no amount of money you could pay me to have that kind of stress. And so it was, a uh, it was a long time coming. And I think this idea in the world today is experiences. You can't just you know, work somewhere for 25 years anymore and then stop learning and just say you paid your dues and coast. You got to be learning something every single day. And I think uh, that's even become a higher priority for me now that I'm out doing my own thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd agree. I, I, coasting is not an option, especially when you're out on your own. Uh, it's, it's really not an option. Um, what, um, what would you say, was your favorite thing about walking into the magic kingdom each day? Well, um, first of all, when I, I pulled in my parking space, I could look up and see Cinderella's castle every morning. So that was just cool. And it's like the grand Canyon. Every time you look at it, it's impressive and it's really overcoming you. Um, but, uh, the thing that really drove me that I just got a, a real charge out of was, um, I was really accessible and very approachable at the magic kingdom and I, I knew, I knew lots of people there and everybody knew me because I was out in the park all the time. I went and ate in the cafeteria with cast members. I had my picture plastered all over the place with my phone number. And I really uh, learned how to build a relationship with lots and lots of cast. And so my ability was, it was a little bit of i uh, I'll say being a celebrity, you got to walk around and talk to people and make them feel good about it. And when you show up and talk to a, a someone who's vending, um, hot dogs or, or making French fries or working attraction and chat with them for a few minutes and find out what's going on with them. And if they need anything, um, you make them really feel good and you make them feel respected and you make them feel important. A, I love that feeling to make people feel that way, but B it's a great way to do business because they perform at a higher level and they know people care about them and they're showing up. So, you know, the, my favorite thing to do is just wander around the park and just talk to guests, talk to cast members, uh, uh, find out what needed to get done, where we needed to make some improvements, who I needed to compliment. And uh, if I could have done that all the time, my job would have been perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's always those things that we really love doing, uh, you know, part of our job or part of our business that we love doing more so than others. Um, I, I'm curious, though, is how, how was it different for you working uh, at the Magic Kingdom versus your pre – because you were – uh, vice president at two previous parks or parks Correct. previously. Um, yeah. How was that experience different for you? Yeah. You know, each, um, each park has its own personality, its own focuses at Epcot. You have a lot of operating participants. So we have a lot of companies that run the restaurants and merchandise locations that aren't Disney, but they, everyone has a Disney name tags. And if we do our job, right, guests don't even know that they're not part of Disney, but they're, 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 third-party companies. And so getting to meet and, and, and interact with Mitsukoshi at Japan and, 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 um, and Patina Group in Italy and all those different, that was, a, that was a pretty cool thing. I think the thing about Magic Kingdom is it is, it is literally 
um, I mean, it's, it's, it's 70 to a hundred percent more attendance than the three other parks. So when you think about the volume there, the volume is just when you, when we shared numbers with people on the sales per square foot at the Emporium or how many guests we got per day or how many transactions per year, it is just a whole nother level. And, um, now you do get the resources with it. Also, you get lots of resources, you get lots of managers, lots of cast members, lots of support, but, um, I really had to learn how to count on my people and let go of a lot of stuff when I was at Magic Kingdom because you cannot personally be involved in everything in any job, but especially at Magic Kingdom, I had to really hone in on my general managers, make sure I was giving them all the tools they needed and giving them the confidence they needed to make decisions and then letting them run and knowing that sometimes they're going to make a decision that may not be the best one, but I can't be involved in everything. And that's probably the hardest part of working at Disney was learning to let go. And learning, and so half my job was figuring out where I needed to focus, and the other half of my job was to figure out where I just need to get out of the way. And there was a lot of things I could have done there that would be fun, but wouldn't add value because I had incredibly talented people working for me. So you know, I didn't run food and beverage. I had a general manager that ran that, and I didn't run merchandise. So a lot of times, my the big part of my job was creating the right environment for everybody, making sure I was setting the uh, the tone for the park. And then uh, hopping in and just helping get, like I said, get barriers out of the way and, and help people do their jobs well. And if they did their jobs well, I got the results that I was being held accountable to. So it was, uh, it, was an, it was an interesting piece. But a lot of times you have to be comfortable with not adding. There's nothing specific for you to do except just take care of everybody. And once again, set the tone. A leader sets the tone. And how they act, how they react to bad news, all these things, that's the, that, that becomes the personality of their operation. Yeah, I mean, with having so many people working directly uh, under you and and trying to equip all of them in so many different roles, right? Because everyone wasn't just in a shop. <laughs> sure. So so I'm just trying to understand that the the grand scope of all the different tasks that every single one of them has to do, I think, plays a big role in in your ability to um to to understand but but even to like be able to place yourself in those positions like you know em empathetically put yourself in those positions sure i mean it's uh you know you, you could walk up to a cast member selling ice cream in the middle of the july and you could say how you doing today and they could be thinking well how do you think i'm doing it's 115 degrees 80 percent humidity i'm dying out here as opposed to walking up and saying man it's a hot day out here you doing okay? You need some water? You feeling okay? And you know the way you question it uh, is a big difference between whether you understand the role and what people are feeling and going through versus not, and it, it makes a big difference in their respect for you. I I would agree. I would agree. Um, when you when you first got uh the into your first vice president role, um, did you did you feel like there was a different kind of pressure, different kind of expectations on you? Absolutely. <laughs> well, even was, of yourself, uh, right? Like it's not just not just them, but but for of yourself. Yeah, it's um, I, you know the what I found at Disney is uh, something there is there's the pride in everyone has throughout the company to deliver. You know, we we tell stories all the time of you know the the decades and decades of of magic we've brought to life. I mean, when your when your mission is bringing dreams to life and making magic real. That's a big that's a big expectation. And so there was certainly pressure every day. And we had to remind ourselves, remind all our cast members, 
you know, I know you're coming in today for your, you know, the, the 25th year and you're working, but some guests have been saving up their whole lives. They've never been here. And this may be one of the highlights of their life to be able to come to a theme park and meet the characters and do this. And they may not be able to be, do this ever again. So you couldn't take it lightly. And I think some people said, well, you know, theme parks, it's not like you're saving lives. And I'd say, well, I would, I would beg to differ because, you know, you have soldiers, their, their, their last trip before they went to off to, uh, you know, off to war, off to another theater would be coming to the Magic Kingdom to share time with their families before they went so they could use those memories when they were apart. Or someone who was battling cancer would come with their family or they'd come to celebrate or, you know, it wasn't uncommon if you stand on Main Street for a few hours, you're going to see an engagement happen. And for the rest of their life, they're going to be talking about getting engaged on Main Street, and you were just at the job that day. So the pressure was, I think we put a lot on ourselves because we knew what the, the expectation and the promise we had made to our guests was, and we did. We wanted to make sure we at least met it, if not exceeded it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's – and I, I think a lot of people don't understand. That's why it's, it's so vastly different from, like, Disneyland, where every, well, most people are local, and why it's it, – it can ruin somebody's entire vacation because they went there and you know haunted mansion was closed. Yeah, it's there's like I said, there's huge expectations and the, I, it's funny. There was a story once. I uh, I got a call from a guest when I was the general manager at the All Star Resort, and um, she called and and they, she said, uh, "Hi, um, I'm Mrs. So and So, and I wanted to call you uh, because yesterday um, I was at one of the theme parks and I tripped and fell." And I hurt my knee and I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. The lighting or that you know, she was going to want to do something with a legally. She said, now I want to make you sure, you know, it was hundred percent my fault. It wasn't Disney's fault, but I fell down and they came and looked at it. The paramedics looked at it and I came back to the hotel and, um, you know, up, up until this morning, no one's called to check on me to see if I'm okay. And I was, you know, my first reaction was really, that's, that's the expectation you have. I very few people. I think when I fall down, sometimes I, I don't expect anyone to call me back. Maybe the doctor might call me if I go to the emergency room, but she, she was right though. She knew that at Disney, we are at the level of detail where someone should have called her. And I told her, I said, you know what, ma'am, you're right. Someone should have called you and checked on you. And we, we dropped the ball on that. And, uh, I'll make sure that, you know, I check on you the rest of your vacation. But that was her base expectation that someone's going to follow up. And uh, I, I can't imagine that happened in a lot of other businesses, but we've we've set that expectation for our guests. Some, somebody following up that's not a lawyer, <laughs> right? 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 Just checking on you. Yeah, just yeah, hi. yeah. See, so, you know what we could do if there's, you know, I I think that's that's incredible that 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 somebody would expect. Well, I don't think I would expect that. Would you? Would you? Um, it depends how often I'd come to Disney because sometimes you read these stories about – and you know when we're talking about – we don't train our cast necessarily to do a lot of this stuff. It's just cultural. They just know, okay, my purpose is to make sure the guest has the best vacation they ever had. So how can I be creative to make sure that happens? And we give them tools and we give them training, but a lot of them just create new ways to go about doing this that we would never think of. And that's when you know you have an incredible culture where people feel empowered to just kind of uh, – spontaneously do things and improvise. And that's, uh, that was always our goal is they would take that, the guest experience and own it. And, uh, and it happened and it, you can't force it, but when it happens, it's, it's incredible. No, I, I, I agree. And, um, did you, did you, did you make a, does anybody get a memo after that? Like, Hey, we should, we should be calling people if they're getting, 
you know, if the paramedics always, have to come out. We should we should be making a call. <laughs> yeah, we we always um we always use uh, any information. We we do a post mortem discussion when something a guest gives us feedback. It doesn't matter whose fault it was or why it happened. We go back and we say, okay, what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen tomorrow? And it's called continuous improvement. You're always going to root cause. Okay, what do we need to do to think about getting this right next time? And the fun thing is you're never done. You're never done with a continuous improvement cycle. But if you've, you're focused on improving every day, and we always, you know, Walt Disney said that, you know, never uh, rest on your laurels, right? That's the worst thing you can do is think you're done. You're never done. And as long as you're driving forward to, to make improvements, and it makes work a lot more fun. It gets everyone involved and thinking, okay, this is Disney, but boy, there's always something we can do better. Am I going to figure out what that is and share it with everybody? Yeah, no, there is always, there is always more to be done. Um, as my grandfather used to say, you guys got to keep stroking and, and going, uh, day after day after day to, to, to get there where you want to go. Um, now let's talk about the first steps that you've been taking since leaving and, and going out on your own. Sure. Well, I, I think there's a few things. One is, uh, you have to, um, swallow your ego. And I, my wife asked me that before I left Disney. She said, okay, before we do this, are you sure that you can get up in the morning and not go in and be in the middle of the action and make a hundred, uh, interactions every day and, and be with all these people and be the man. <laughs> That's what her thing was. Cause you do get, you do get addicted to that. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm good now. I said, probably a few years ago, I wasn't sure, but I'm in a place now where I'm, I kind of feel centered and um, I'm, I'm seeing that this enjoyment for life and this flexibility to do what we want to do when we want to do it is really a driving force. So I had to, I had to come to that conclusion because I knew that once you leave Disney, um, when you call people from Disney, people call you back really quickly. And they always, re they always respond to your emails. And you have your business card with Mickey Mouse on it. When you leave, you're, you're the guy that used to work at Disney. So I had to make sure that I, I was going to be comfortable with that. And um, – so as I as I started thinking about this, I uh, you know I reached out to my dad and he gave me the gentleman who built his website and I I called him and said hey I'd like to build a website and I'll tell you technology is just incredible I've never met John and I've only talked to him live twice and in three weeks we built a website just emailing back and forth and he needed images and I needed and he asked her for stuff and and um, he he built it and it's it's up and running now and it looks great um, and so I started to. Uh, you know, talk to people. And I, I, I talked to, um, Jody Mayberry and he's doing you know, the podcast. I said, so what's this all about? How does this work? Like, and he said, well, you, you do the podcast, you get your name out there. Uh, hopefully can, people can sign up on your website and you start making connections with people. He said, but, um, and I'm reading a book right now, uh, crushing it. It's by, um, uh, Gary I'm trying to remember, you know, uh, you've been talking. Yeah. Vaynerchuk. Yeah. And, the the big thing I got out of that was you have to be incredibly generous and just give away as much as you can. Don't hold back. And I think a lot of consultants, you know, they kind of say, I'll give you 10%. And if you want the rest, you got to pay me for it. And his point of view was just go out and give, give as much as you can. And it all comes back to you. And I think that's the way leadership works too. You're all, you can't go into these things trying to figure out what the payback is. You just have to have this attitude that I'm going to help people. I'm going to put my hand out. I'm going to you know, give them a hand and, and, and try to interact with them and um, something good will happen at down the road. And that's been a, that's been a, a, a nice surprise for me, uh, but also something that I'm just I, I, I got to really focus on and make sure I understand that. Be open to every opportunity. 
and don't don't shut anything down. Cause you just never know what door is going to open if you get you get involved. So you you've um you you mentioned earlier about contacting like executive recruiters. Was that how you got your um, some of your first speaking and and consulting gigs? Uh, no, um, they they were all looking at you know kind of uh, traditional jobs. So I never really got any um, anything back from them. Um, I put uh, on LinkedIn, you know, that I had my I, I put the email that I sent to my leadership team when I announced that I was leaving. And so I just cut and paste that. And I put that on LinkedIn and said, hey, um, I'm leaving Disney and I'm doing if you go to dancockrell.com, you can see what I'm doing now. And the first call I got was from someone who knew someone who said they knew uh, someone in Croatia that had a hotel company and they're trying to figure out their organizational structure and they want to you know, get some ideas. So I'm going there at the end of this month to spend a week over there and work with them. And then I have a couple uh, speeches with a pharmaceutical company in June. And that was somebody who called someone that mentioned my name. They were looking at a few speakers. I got on a conference call for half an hour, made my pitch, and they ended up calling me back. It was nice to get a W on the board early. <laughs> it builds a lot of confidence. And so a lot of this is just uh, it is it is random and it's word of mouth and it's you know just connecting and that's why it's it's interesting because you can't really plan you can't decide where you're going to go after you just sort of got to put everything out there and then hopefully establish some relationships that will will pay back again and I've built a lot of relationships over 27 years with a lot of people and I'm realizing now how important that was and at the time I was just doing it because I like doing it I wasn't thinking that this was going to be beneficial when I went out and started my own company, cause I never imagined I'd do this, but, uh, it seems to be helping now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the network is, is super important. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I started this podcast, you know, almost four years ago now, uh, right. to, to help build up that network and, and figure, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so, so I, I'm curious, I mean, I know, I'm, I'm sure I know what your family thinks, right? You, they're all, they're all on board, right? Yes. Um, our son, um, cause our, 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 our plan is eventually we want to get out to Boulder, Colorado. Our daughter's a sophomore out there studying business and we just love it. I worked there in high school as a volunteer park ranger and my wife and I love hiking and we just said, that's where we want to be. And so, um, our son graduates next spring. And so we have our house on the market. We're going to downsize and, um, and rent something and until we, and he graduates. And so at first he said, when we told him I was doing this, he kind of, he was, he's 17 and he was silent for a few minutes. He said, so are we moving? Do I get to finish high school here? We said, oh yeah, absolutely. You're going to finish high school here. And, and, uh, he was good with it. And my daughter and my oldest son just graduated from university of Miami and he thought it was really cool. He's like, that's great. Go out and just see the world and go do what you want to do. And my dad's been supportive. So everyone has been good. But, um, I think the biggest thing was, was my wife, Valerie, to be able to understand the risk and, and feel good about it and be excited about it. And if it wasn't for her, there's no way I would have ever done this. And, and sometimes I had my doubts. She goes, nope, keep moving forward. This is good. It's all going to be all right. So. It, it, it absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, from one post, you got gigs out of that. So, uh, you're, you're definitely, and it's great that, like you said, that to get those, those, uh, W's early because, uh, there, you know, in this, um, you know, in this lifestyle, there is, there, there's, there may be weeks where there's crickets, you know, and things aren't popping off the way that you, you want them to or expect them to. So you gotta, you gotta be willing to, you know, willing and able to stay focused and keep your eye on the prize. 
and I've I I have a list of articles and books to read. Like I don't think I'm ever going to get them done, but it's so exciting now. It's like I remember being back in college and I had all this free time and I didn't use it to study. <laughs> and I wish I could have gone back and now I can and say, okay, I'm now in a whole different mindset that I just want to get as much of this uh, learning as I can. And I'm actually going to have some time now to go explore new things and, and take care of myself and work out and um, just, you know, be healthy and, and feel good. Wow, that, that That is awesome. Speaking of which, what is your hobby, Dan? Hobby. Well, um, I've been working on, um, well, first of all, we have a dog and I never had a dog growing up. And so we just love, like we needed, when the two kids moved out, we needed another life form in the house to take care of. So we had a dog. So our, our hobby is like walking the dog. But, um, I've been working on for nine months, um, learning how to kiteboard. And, uh, if, uh, if you've ever seen it, these kites, they're about, I don't know, anywhere from 15 to 22 feet wide. And you put on a harness and you fly your kite and you get up on a board and um, sometimes you take off and sometimes you get don't get out of the water. And it took me nine months before I was able to get out of the water with it. And it was like one of the most exciting times of my life. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And so I go out to the Banana River at, near Cape Canaveral here and there's a bunch of guys out there. Everyone's really friendly and they help you and give you advice on how to do it. And uh, that's what I've been working on. And uh, I take my phone with me now because I usually end up two to three miles where I started. And I have to call my wife to come pick me up. So um, I, I've ne- I haven't been able to get back up wind yet, but I'm sure I'll figure that out someday. <laughs> so what's been the biggest roadblock for you? Um, I, you could start with uh, in the in the Disney company. And then I would love to hear if, if that roadblock has changed now that you're out on your own. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if I'd call this a roadblock, but um, as I moved up in the company, uh, and there's a great book, um, the um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, um, the Next Level, and there's a there's a chapter in the Next Level, and it talks about this concept of the how and the uh, the what, and so when you work in operations at Disney, every day you're thinking about the what. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, you're thinking about the how, how do we park cars faster? How do we do this more efficiently? How do we get our cast to be even nicer? How do we figure out who the guests are? How do we figure out to cook the French fries faster? Everything's how everything's tactical and improvement. You're always going after that. And I, I came to a point when I got to Epcot as vice president that I now had a whole bunch of people that were really good at the how. You know, they're experts in merchandise, experts in engineering, experts in industrial engineering, experts in marketing and, and, and food and beverage. And so my job became not the how, but the what. What should we be focusing on? And I think I find sometimes is um, you can get caught up on focusing on something that seems really important and put a lot of time and energy into it. And even if you're successful, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, for example, at, at, at the parks, the number one key driver of the guest overall experience is rides and attractions. That's you know, The more rides and attractions you can do, the better experience you have. And so a huge part of the job is making sure we're efficiently putting guests through the attractions and we have uptime and reliability. And you need to focus a lot on that. Um, and it's uh, food and beverage is like maybe 12th or 13th on the list. It doesn't mean you don't want to do it poorly. But you don't want to overinvest resources in that area because you only have a limited amount of resources. So I think as a, um, a an executive, a company like Disney, an entrepreneur, you really have to step back and say, okay, I'm going to focus on this, but why am I doing that? And is this where my time is best going to be spent to bring value? 
because uh, when you're real busy, and we were talking about that earlier, when you get really busy, you sort of just grab the next thing that comes along as opposed to being more um, intentful on how you think about what you're going to do next. And because, uh, you know, different things will move the needle at different uh, depending on their value. And I think you just got to be smart about where you focus. And it's easy to get, just get caught up and working on stuff just because, you know, someone called you and said, can you do this? And you start doing it. Well, you wouldn't have done it if they didn't call you. So why are you doing it now? So I think you just got to have some discipline to make sure you're focused on the right things. And and that could be d- very difficult, right? Prioritizing and, and understanding um, that every, you know, everything has its place, but also understanding that, uh, like there's like there's things that like nobody like you, nobody should be coming to you and be like oh the bathrooms are dirt like dirty right um so how like at that point that some something's clearly wrong right if if at the point at the bathrooms get to the point where people are complaining about it that's right. then there's a breakdown somewhere yeah a, a lot of this is uh you have to have a sense of urgency and um I call it this the it's sort of the slippery slope. When you hear one person make a comment, you don't listen because you're waiting for the trend. You're waiting to see if it's a, a, a statistically significant. And so what I've learned over time is you got to treat people individually uh, on any situation that happens, but you also have to have a good systemic, uh, methodical approach to things. Because um, you know at Disney, one very well-written guest letter can really get everyone fired up about something, but it doesn't mean the system's broken. It means it was one of the uh, a fail a service failure in the moment. Other times, when you start getting multiple complaints, that's not a that's not a one-off failure. That's there's something systemic happening, and you have to understand what the the systemic root cause is and go after that. And once you fix the root cause, you go back down to you know you're never going to be perfect, but you're going to go down to a level that okay, we, there's times when we, we fail. It's not acceptable that happens, and there's times when you just don't set people up for success, and that's when it's up to leadership to go in and. And, and determine what you have to change from a process standpoint or a resource standpoint to make sure you're delivering on what you're doing. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. When I worked at the All-Star, I uh, was a general manager there. We had uh, almost 6,000 hotel rooms in that hotel. And so six thousand. So you had eighteen to 24,000 people staying there every night on any given night, if you're, depending off whether you're sold out or not. And about once a month, I would get a guest on the phone who would just rip me apart because of the, the room cleanliness. Right. So they it's the we call it the Swiss cheese model. If you if you put Swiss cheese the right way, you can see through it. So the guests got to the room and it wasn't clean. And then the housekeeper said that they would do a VIP cleaning and then they were sick the next day. And then the manager was going to go ahead and take care of it. But he got sidetracked and lost the voicemail. And so once again, it's one out of a 100,000. But that's the one that gets to you as a general manager that, you know, somehow it just didn't fix it. So the, the guest would just, you know rip me apart and just say, look, I'm paying all this money and you can't even keep my room clean. So we'd take care of it. We'd do whatever we had to do to recover that situation. And early on, I would say, you know what? I need to have an emergency meeting with my housekeeping team because we need to work on room cleanliness. And uh, then I took, I did my MBA and I took a statistics class. And after that class, I concluded, you know what? If I only get a call once a month from a guest on room cleanliness, we probably have a super clean hotel. I just got exposed to that one guest that was just and personally made me feel terrible. Um, so, but I'm gonna have a party and celebrate that only one guest got through to me this month on that it got ratcheted up. So, a lot of times it's your point of view, how close you are to the situation. So, you got to keep that in mind, but you also have to keep in mind the volumes you're dealing with and make sure statistically you really do have a problem and don't don't jump to a conclusion. 
Yeah, I think I think the statistics end of it makes a lot of sense. I, I would also say that to to go along with that, it's like how many people didn't complain, right? Yeah, like thousands, for every for, for every person that that w- that does call, there there's probably a uh, you know thou- a thousand or two thousand or three thousand sure. people who just were like, eh, yeah, I'm not like I, I'm on vacation, I'm not gonna you know rock the boat oh yeah okay so your point is how many had a problem and just decided not to not to reach out right because yeah. if one room didn't get cleaned what about the room that was next to it and the room that was next to that one the next like you know yeah, that's it's it was a great a, point maybe there's and a progressive were, amount yeah and something interesting and i wish i had thought of it at the time but they're testing at disney now in the resorts when you check in there's a letter in the room from the general manager of the hotel with their name on it it says if you need anything or have any service issues or have any questions while you're here Here's my email address. Here's my phone number. And that's not the only person. There's a team of duty managers that are monitoring it. But real time, if a guest has a problem, they don't have to go to the front desk. They don't have to go to guest relations. They can call and email that. The duty manager will be right there on the spot to take care of it. Because once a guest goes home, it's really hard to recover their situation because there's really nothing you can do now except give them money back. But while they're at the resort, you can tell. And we've seen some big success with that. At the beginning, we were nervous. Well, Every guest is going to call with a problem. We said, well, if every guest calls with a problem, we have a much bigger problem than them calling us. Why does everyone have all these bad experiences? And as it turns out, it's a, it's a manageable amount of people. But you get to real time, you're able to get the authority and a decision maker in the loop quickly to make a decision to make the guest vacation right and not have to wait till they get home and go through the hassle of writing a letter and, and explaining that to us. No, I, I, I think that that is that is awesome. And I'm guessing they haven't had a super amount of emails come through or else they probably would reevaluate. Well, I think what it does is if you if you get a whole bunch of emails on, you know, I called to get towels delivered and they're not being delivered, or then go figure out what's wrong with the towel delivery service. You know, it's not that don't ignore it. Just go fix whatever is problematic. And guests are very reasonable. And 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 they're also they have a high expectation. Once again, they're paying a lot of money, and they should ex- have high expectations to get a great experience. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, especially at the 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 um the the uh, what's it called the uh the Magic Kingdom resorts and the I can't think of the, the Grand the Floridian, stadium. yeah, temporary, the, not the moderates. The what's the what's the term? Not the moderates. Premium, the, the premium, premium resorts. resorts. Yeah. yeah, the deluxe, deluxe. The deluxe. Right. That's the sure. word. <laughs> right. Glad I wasn't the only one that had t- trouble thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so what, what was your childhood dream growing up? You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to my mom about that there during the day. I wanted to, um, I wanted to be Isaac on the love boat. I wanted to be down that bar and be a bartender and make drinks and chat with people on the, the, the love boat. And, uh, and it's funny to a certain degree, I ended up doing that. I got into hospitality, which seemed to be something I really liked because it's, you get to travel you get to meet people from all, all these different places and uh, my wife and I were down in uh, Havana last month for our 25th wedding anniversary. And um, it, I don't think it was a Pacific princess, but it was one of the uh, princess cruise ships was in dock. And I, was, I, you know, I, was, I broke out and sang the love boat to my wife because I, I love that show. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, though, that you you know, how how your dream, you know, what you wanted to be as a kid plays a role in what you wind up doing uh, to some degree. I mean, obviously, you, you weren't bartending, but going and getting to speak to literally hundreds of people a day uh, puts you in that same in that same realm. Sure. 
and now you know with speaking uh that's that's the next you know stuff you, you could be speaking to the to, to literally thousands of people at once that's the plan <laughs> that's the plan we'll see how it turns out but uh but yeah it's uh i'm, I'm like i said i'm really excited excited about just I have so many stories and and have dealt with so many different things at Disney in on on the project management side on strategic planning on service delivery and leadership and uh, partnering and and there's just there's a lot of areas that I think I didn't realize how much I learned until I go start talking about it I start to realize wow that was being immersed in that environment for that many years you really you really uh, learn how to think about the business in a very uh, different way no, I, absolutely. I could definitely see that. Now, with all that said, what are your dreams for the future looking like? Well, I want to make some money so I can pay the mortgage. This is a dream of mine, um, and hopefully that'll work out. Um, my wife and I, we have a bucket list. We have a list of places we want to go. And once again, I don't know if we're going to make it to all these places, but um, we, 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 like to, we love traveling. We, go, we took our kids to Japan a couple years ago, and you know, being from Europe, uh, we, we've traveled a lot there and, um, I got October of 2019 blocked on my calendar. The rugby world cup is being played in Japan. And so we're planning on going there for a month and, uh, going, seeing rugby matches. And I can't wait to, uh, sing and drink beer with guys from New Zealand and Australia and South Africa and Japan. So we just, uh, in between working and having this adventure, we want to kind of take some time to go see the world and meet people. And, uh, and like I said, do what we get to, what we want to do. Oh, that that is that is awesome and and it's awesome that you've done it at, at at such a young age and not made the decision um to like wait another 10 or 12 or 15 years yeah it was funny because i don't know where that came up. i think that was a social media thing that someone wrote that i was retiring because my wife said you're retiring i said i don't think i'm retiring i think i'm going to be working harder than i did before and so but uh it was uh it made me feel a little bit old but i um Obviously, that's not the case. I'm, uh, I guess, relaunching my career. We'll call it that. Yeah. Yeah. No, abs- absolutely. Um, so, Dan, how can people connect with you online? Yeah. So my website, I was I was able to go on and no one had taken dancockrell.com. So it was perfect. So you go to dancockrell.com. Uh, my website is there. I have an article of the week. I've been sending out an article to my team for about 18 years every week. And uh, I curate articles, and I find great articles and things I think that are very helpful, and I send it to my my managers, and I'm continuing to do that. So you can go on and register for free. Uh, every Friday, you'll get a, a quote from me. You'll get a little a blurb on what the article is about and why I think it's important. And then just, uh, like I said, a, a, an article by an author who has written something that I think is, uh, is valuable. Um, some of them are on communication. Some of them are on um, – just being intentful on your goals. Uh, I sent one out. There's one on my website about luck. There's a great article that was one of my all-time favorites of, uh, are can you create your own luck or not? And it, it really gets in talks about that. And the answer is yes, you can. Um, so um, that's that's a way to engage. And my you know my uh, my contact information's on there. My cell phone's on there. And um, if people want to you know, get these articles or are interested in hearing more, they can go there and check it out. Awesome. Well, I will definitely have that in the show notes uh, at superjoeparo.com for everyone to go and check out. Um, you know, I, I, when you say, can you create your own luck? I, I absolutely agree. The more you do, the more you, <laughs> the more opportunity, the more opportunity, the more 
opportunity to to get lucky <laughs> exactly no it's 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 a pretty common sense notion but a lot of people don't realize how much is it actually in their hands uh to help influence good things from happening i i would agree i would agree um so i i have had an absolute awesome time having you on super dan cockerel not not crocker or croc cockerel. <laughs> uh <laughs> i've heard it all don't worry <laughs> Uh, I would love to have you on again in like a year to follow up and see how you're making out and, and doing and hopefully uh, putting lots of W's in that column. I would love to. Call me anytime. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Is there any last thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up this episode? Um, I just think, you know, you and I were talking before the, the, um, the podcast, Joe was giving me some advice. I was saying, Hey, new entrepreneur, anything I should be thinking about. And he was talking about, uh, self-care and I thought he meant healthcare. I said, yeah, it's really expensive when you go out on your own. He said, no, no, not healthcare, self-care. Um, take care of yourself. And I, I'm a big believer in that is no matter what your, whether your family is a, a high priority to you or your career or your faith or your hobby, um, you got, I am a big believer. You got to take care of yourself first. And if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. And people sometimes think they're supposed to sacrifice themselves for others. And I don't believe that. I think you should be selfish about getting enough sleep, eating right, getting enough exercise, having a balanced mind and spiritually being in a good place. And once you do that, you give so much more uh, to everybody else. So um, I think we have the same uh, belief in that area, Joe. I, I would agree. You, you, you know, you got to make yourself happy, right? It's not it's nobody else's job but your own. That's right. So if you've enjoyed this episode with me and Super Dan, please, please, please share this episode with somebody you feel would get something out of this. I would appreciate it. Super Dan would appreciate it. And this episode has been brought to you by me and my brand new super retreats for entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, if you're looking to grow your business through systems and processes, if you're stressed out and frustrated uh, with your current business or your current situation that you're building or have built uh, and want to start learning how to build your business for your life lifestyle not the other way around uh you can learn more at super uh, slash retreats and thank you again dan i really appreciate your time i hope everybody has a great week thanks for joining us for this episode of the business podcast featuring super joe pardo get more business content at superjoepardo.com if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on The Business Podcast, send an email to joe at superjoepardo.com. The Business Podcast is copyrighted to 234 Solutions, LLC.